Welcome to the Pre-Health Pod. My name is Lexi. And my name is Natalie. And we're a podcast by students for students who are here to meet you wherever you are. Happy holidays, Natalie. It's like December. Yay. Happy holidays. <laughs> I'm so beyond excited that it is December, best time of the year. I'm still in my short sleeves, obviously, because it's Arizona. But even so, I'm getting in the holiday cheer. <laughs> Yeah, I am not my short sleeves. I am freezing because my boyfriend keeps our apartment at oh. 40 degrees. Just oh my God, that's criminal. <laughs> me. I'm still drinking my coffee. Uh, as I, That's criminal. <laughs> it's so cold. And he's like, it's nice. It's fine. And I'm like, can we put the heat on or, oh my or turn on the oven? And he's like, no. Turn on the oven. <laughs> my roommates are the same way. They're the same because they're from Pennsylvania. I feel like they like to keep everything really cold in our apartment. I'm just wrapped in a blanket. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's getting me in the holiday spirit to be cold, so it's fine. <laughs> yes, and drinking my coffee. Yeah. Um, you have your cute oh, oh mug. Your coffee has that cute little holiday design on it. Yes, for those of you who can't see in person, right. which none of you can, it's yeah. meet me under the mistletoe. <laughs> Super um, cute. Super it's just cute. cheesy. But Target bugs are not cool this year. That's so sad. Well, I'm still going to look. <laughs> yeah. What happened up to this week, Lexi? Tell me about your life. Update us about the birthday party that you were telling us about last week. Oh, yeah. I went to this murder mystery, Great Gatsby birthday party for a good friend yes. of mine. I've only known her for a little bit, but she's like the coolest person ever. Right. Um, Obviously. Olivia will probably never listen to this, but you're the best <laughs> person ever. And she uh, put together this like huge party. There was this big spreadsheet of like 50 people on it who were assigned roles and were given like individual biographies, costume ideas, and like prompts to text people in advance to prepare for the murder oh, mystery. Fun. And so my character, my name was Jazzy Fringe, and I <laughs> was a nightclub singer for the north side and we were at war with the south side oh, and drama i hated the north side i was <laughs> in love with the king of the south side and okay. i went up to house Apone, who was in charge of the south side and i was like i'm in love with you please hire me and fire your horrible other singer who can't even sing <laughs> yeah so i was going literally going around the party with a sheet of paper and my lines <laughs> and being like i'm in love with house Apone. um doesn't mean i murdered him or i forget who got murdered oh this other guy who's stupid <laughs> i was like i didn't murder that guy i'm in love with house Apone. but you know who probably murdered him that night singer who i hate named Kara Lowe. <laughs> oh my god because Kara Lowe had an affair with that guy who died oh but i bet she confusing. killed him for it I know it was very confusing, but we got you, used to it. But my, you should consider a career in acting instead of medicine. This is incredible. I'm just kidding. I will say, I was like, how is this going to go? Because I didn't know yeah. most people there except for a handful of people. And I was like, but everyone was so into it. Their costumes awesome. were so good. So I got into it. Everybody was like acting. And I was like, uh, I, was like I need to see uh, a picture of the party. Oh, hey, girl. I know. I'll show you. Um, <laughs> and she came to me and be like, no, my name's. Uh, I don't know. My name yeah. is Maggie. Like you not try to call blah, them blah. by their real name and they'll be like, how dare you? That is, I don't <laughs> yeah. know who that person is. <laughs> I know. Oh so my God. Fun. Did you guys um, solve the mystery at least? Was that? We did. Yeah. It, it was like this dramatic thing. And I confessed my love to Hal Sapone, but I don't think he loved Beautiful me Beautiful ending. So that was sad. <gasps> really? But, but my boyfriend was there and <laughs> his character... Was stupid. 
Oh, my it was my funny. Gosh. His character was literally pilot. Okay. So he was going around in this pilot costume. And I had these big lines about confessing love and like talking about the murder. And he was like, my name is, I forgot what his name was. I think it was Billy. My name is Billy. And you know what's great? Flying planes. I could take you on a transatlantic flight if you'd like. <laughs> and he just go around great. and turn himself in conversations to be like, do you like flying? <laughs> what was his purpose in the mystery? That seems so useless. No. His purpose was an NPC. Oh <laughs> my god, actually. <laughs> That's the worst role ever. I was like, that, that means I'm cooler than you, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, nobody wants to be an NPC. <laughs> no, he had fun with it. Good, yeah. It sounds like he did. I mean, I'll take him up on his offer if he wants to take me on a transatlantic flight. That sounds fun. For no reason. I know. I know. Just he fly. Wishes he could fly planes. Yeah. <laughs> really? It's a secret well, goal of his. <laughs> <laughs> How was your week? Anything fun or interesting? Well, I didn't go to any cool parties like that, but <laughs> this was actually our finals week at ASU. So I finished up a couple of my finals. I didn't have too, too many again, because I studied abroad this semester. So it's still like I'm adjusting being back at in Arizona and at ASU. Yeah. Um, so I only had a few finals and they were pretty simple. It wasn't like I'm in a crazy science class right now. So yeah, I finished up my finals. It was a really nice stressless finals week, which I know a lot of people cannot relate to. So there's <laughs> going out to all of you that are taking finals or that just took your finals praying for your grades. <laughs> yeah, I know ASU finals ended early. So yeah, kind so. of. I feel like it's always usually the first week of December or the second week. Yeah. So I, I mean, friends at MPHC at other schools who are like right before Christmas, their finals end or something. Yeah, that is so sad. That is I sad. I feel really bad for those people because you're stressing <laughs> all the way up until Christmas. <laughs> it's supposed to be the yeah. happiest time of the year. Yeah. That's um, how I felt about when they would do like a midterm on the Monday after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Like, I can't even. Right. Yeah, it's family. always horrible because nobody's going to actually review for that. Or if they do, then it's really sad because you have to review during the holidays. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. This year, I actually had an OCHEM test on the day after my 20th birthday. It was so <gasps> sad. <laughs> I was heartbroken oh because I actually had to review, like, I had to do OCHEM problems, like, on my birthday, which was a really humbling <laughs> experience. <laughs> horrible way to spend a birthday I know and I had my family there at my house to celebrate and then I was also like oh I also have an OCHEM lab report to do today so yeah it was honestly time management was really challenging for me at that point in my life yeah so oh my god what classes did you finish this semester I just finished up bioethics and then I was taking like an elective course about like physician specialties like kind of like review what oh. they are and see what you might want to do what um, the heck and then I was finishing up Spanish and then I did like a Latin American healing traditions class which was really interesting it was kind of like a medical social science class which was really actually a very good class I recommend it if you're at ASU and then I also had a Spanish grammar class and I think that's it can't quite remember wow. the last one <laughs> There was definitely, they were classes, but I just, that's kind of amazing. Really? Well, yeah. And well, what classes were you taking in Spain? Well, the Latin American uh, healing class is very interesting. And I'm glad they offer a class like that because 
I remember I weren't asked any of these questions, but when I was preparing for MMIs, some of like the example ethical scenarios I was given were like the different healing traditions of other cultures. Yeah, that's all that it was. Pointing, if you know what that is, that was a question I prepared for. I forget what the other ones were, but it's a good idea to have like a a general understanding. What is coining? I don't think I know what that one is. Was that a Latin American? So it was like a form of derma abrasion therapy that is like practiced in China and Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to like rid the body of heatness or negative energies. And mm-hmm. so you would do downward pressured strokes in a linear fashion over like skin that was lubricated with a hard object with a smooth edge, such as a coin. They also use buffalo mm-hmm. horns and it was repeated until bruising appeared which released like the quote heatness and it was believed to be like more and more effective if bruises were produced. And when this MMI question I was reviewing, it was saying like, let's you have a child that comes in who has like these types of bruises on their back. And that could be concerning for domestic violence in the home, but it's a good idea to talk to the family and like understand their cultural background and if they would practice these traditions and like, they asked like, what would you do in this scenario? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was an interesting question. It was hard. I was like, oh my gosh. Because at first glance, you're like, that's seems kind of scary, but yeah, no, that is a really good question. That's interesting. Wow. I definitely remember the hot and cold imagery going through the class when we were learning about it too. So that's interesting to know that they're going to ask about that or they might ask about something like that in your MMI. I will say I only had two MMIs and they didn't do a lot of ethical scenarios. Um, Mm. So I don't know if other schools would ask questions like these. I did have a friend just interviewed another school who did ask a lot of ethical scenario questions, but I don't think any regarding like cultural traditions but this was just something I had in a packet that I got from like a mentor as an example it's a good idea though to just expand your knowledge of different practices like these and so go online and and google coining and look at a a PubMed article about it Mm -hmm. highly recommend doing yeah no that's so true I thought that the class was really really interesting and it was really eye-opening for a lot of different reasons and I think a lot of people forget about that aspect of medicine that like a lot of people's self-care kind of, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They treat themselves and they kind of think that they know best sometimes, patients do. And so if they have a specific cultural tradition that goes back in their family generations, they're probably going to trust that over a doctor's advice. So you got to take that into account always. It was a great class. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Well, congrats yeah. on finishing finals. That's so exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be nice to just kind of get ready for Christmas now and maybe start preparing for my MCAT. <laughs> <gasps> oh, that's exciting. I know. But not, I'm scared. I'm scared for I, you. I hate the MCAT. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be scared. Don't be scared. We got it. We're in this together, <laughs> supporting each other through this. Yay. Yay. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. I think you asked what classes I was in while I was in Spain also. I forgot to answer oh, yeah. that. But so I was in a Spanish conversation and composition class. And then I was in a Spanish grammar class at the same time. And this is a session. And then I was in that healing traditions class that I just talked about. And then I nice, had a class nice. in Spain in person that was like, it was like a communications class. It was kind of just for a literacy credit. So that wasn't really related to anything medical or <laughs> or anything Spanish. But yeah, I took a communications class in person. I had the sweetest teacher ever. She was so cute. 
And that was A session. And then B session, I was in bioethics and then that physician specialty course. So yeah, that was that's really cool that they offer yeah. that now. I wish they offered that for me. I know. Yeah, I what think it's relatively new. I don't know when it came out, but yeah, it was really interesting. I learned a lot about a lot of different specialties that I hadn't considered before. It was like because we got some presentations from like geriatrics, for example, and I had never really considered geriatrics before. So yeah. that was fun just to get to know what that's like to be a geriatrician. Just doesn't yeah. Exist. <laughs> no, that's a great example. My grandparents were like, they called me when I got into med school and they were like, mm-hmm. you should go into geriatrics. <laughs> really? Yeah. They just wanted like, you to take uh, care of them. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted you to be their doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome that you were able to take that course because I know right. when you're in medical school, like every year, more and more students need to kind of know earlier and earlier on what specialty they want to go into, especially yeah. if it's like a competitive specialty, like a right? orthopedic surgery or dermatology. I know that's why a lot of medical schools such as Duke and now UCLA, mm-hmm. their curriculum is centered around like a one-year didactic and then a one-year rotations. And then like third year is a big research year and you can also do clinical work as well. But mm-hmm. the reason why they do that is so that one research year, if you're someone who knows what they're going to do, and let's say you're interested in ophthalmology mm-hmm. and you want to do a research paper on macular degeneration and you want to learn all about that disease, you can do a whole research year about it and dedicate your experience to that field. I talked to my mentor at work and he was like, I don't know how I feel about that because when you're doing a whole research year, it can be easy to like not be still involved in the clinic and like seeing patients. And that's something that is very important you need to do as a medical student is see as many patient cases as you can. But if schools already offer that like alongside the research year, it's important to take advantage of that. So there are some like pros and cons and it just depends on like what you're interested in. And for me, that's something I've been considering over the last year with all these different schools and their curriculums and like what would fit best for me. Because I'm still someone who I know I want to go into surgery or I have an interest in surgery, but I also have an interest in infectious disease. And I could see myself going into infectious disease or maybe a profession that involves both. So it's it's hard <laughs> in my yes. gap year seeing which curriculum would fit best for me, but that's awesome that you're able to take that course and yeah, uh, definitely. If help you me aren't with- able to take that course, come to our conference. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. NPHC is also really helpful for understanding what the specialties are actually like. But this class just kind of gave me a different perspective of some specialties that I don't normally hear from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. Well, I want to go ahead and transition to our amazing episode with Andres Diaz, and he's here. So I'm going to go ahead and let him in, and we'll see you then. Great. All right, everybody. I would love to introduce Andres Diaz. Andres was born in Medellin, Colombia, and migrated with his family to the United States at the age of 11. Andres originally wanted to pursue a career in the culinary arts to become a chef. However, his community college experience, and in particular, his coursework in medical humanities, changed the trajectory of his life. Andres was moved by the study of medicine through a humanities and social science lens and decided to pursue a career in medicine. Currently, Andres is completing an MD-PhD dual degree program at the University of Arizona. His research focuses on harnessing cellular immune therapies to fight neuroblastoma and other pediatric solid tumors. 
He plans to pursue a career in pediatric oncology and specialize in bone marrow transplantation. Adjacent to his research and clinical interests, Andres has a passion for addressing global pediatric cancer care disparities and plans to incorporate this work into his future research and clinical practices. Thanks so much for joining us, Andres, again. Part two. Welcome. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored that you invited me. Thank you so much. <laughs> of I, just, course. I have to say, I loved the first podcast episode with you. I wasn't on it because it was Sarah back then, obviously, but I was an avid listener of the podcast and I absolutely love that episode. It was so inspiring. You just like my rant about no. medical anthropology. <laughs> <laughs> It inspired me to take a medical social science class. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. That we were just talking about it, me and like, yeah. it was like a Latin American healing traditions class. So it was oh, really interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So it was definitely a great episode. We're happy to have you back again. <laughs> Thanks, guys. No, I'm flattered to be able to speak to you guys again. And yeah, I'm looking forward to an awesome conversation. Great. Yeah. I know last time we spent the whole episode talking about medical anthropology. So I loved it. <laughs> Just kidding. Now I would love to ask more about your medical school application process and you're someone who just can give amazing advice to our undergraduate pre-medical students and especially those who come from like underrepresented backgrounds or are doing a non-traditional pathway or going through the community college experience as well. So I wanted to ask you firsthand, uh, what was your medical school application process like? So I'll definitely preface that answer with, well, you know, stating that one, I was not a student that knew early on that I wanted to go to medical school. I think it's common for folks to know earlier on, like folks who just know when they're in elementary school that I wanted to be a doctor. That's great. And that's common to some extent. Yeah. But it's also equally common folks that figure out in the middle of undergrad or later in life, like, oh, you know what? I actually want to become a physician. I'm on that end. It definitely took me some time to realize that I wanted to do this. I'll also preface that I'm a non-traditional student. So my path is not orthodox in some ways. Uh, mm -hmm. But I also believe that that's becoming the norm. What was not the norm when I was applying perhaps is now becoming more normal. Uh, yeah, That's a more non-traditional path, more circuitous uh, path. Also, I think it's important to note that I started my medical path or my journey in community college. I graduated high school. I wasn't sure I wanted to do medicine. And I know we've talked about this in the previous episode, but in short, I went to community college where I took some humanities and medical anthropology courses. And that's where I kind of discovered, oh, this is really what's for me. So I started in community college. And I like stating that because I've met a lot of folks who want to pursue medicine who started their career in community college, and they think that that's going to hold them back or that's going to prevent yeah. them from applying or getting in. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So I always love stating that because I'm a big advocate for community college. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think it, you can get an amazing education starting in community college. From community college, I discovered that I wanted to do medicine. I went to the University of Central Florida to pursue that further. Go Knights. Uh, yeah, yeah, go Knights. <laughs> and I, I miss Orlando. It's it's a great city, and I really I do enjoy, too. <laughs> it's it's great out there, and I, I really enjoy my time in UCF. Yeah, it's an excellent school. I'm trying to get my brother to go there. Actually, um, yeah. So I think I told you my sister's uh, undergrad in Valencia Community College. Yeah. Uh huh. In Orlando. Yeah. 
And she's kind of following on her brother's footsteps without, <gasps> I enforce her to do it, but she started Valencia and she's going to transfer to UCF, which was what oh, I did. Oh, that's great. I know. I went to high school at Celebration, which is in Kissimmee, and they were even pushing me. They were like, if you want to go to UCF, it's like, there's a more affordable option. You could just do Valencia two years and then go to UCF the last two years. And it's a, they will count it as like a four-year undergraduate degree. At least what they told me in high school, I was like, that's an awesome option. I think I offered it to my other brother because he was going to Valencia at the time. He didn't do it, but he was pretty interested in it too. So it's a great program that they have. I think it brings up a good point, Alexia, about affordability. So I'm talking about like my journey, like how I got eventually applied and got everything together. But the financial component is really important to consider. I think one of the primary reasons I went to Valencia was because I was an international student at the time. Mm -hmm. And the larger universities would only see me as an international student, but Valencia Community College was willing to see me as a Florida resident. And that changed how much I would have to pay for tuition drastically. Wow. You know, when you're going through this journey, guys, for, for applying to medical school, getting into medical school, recognize that it is a financial journey as well. So you have to really be conscious of how much it costs to get into medical school. And that's a topic that I'm very opinionated on. In short, it should be (laughs) Mm -hmm. easier and cheaper. There's a whole industry behind getting in, you know, the medical school application process interview industry. They do great work, but it is an industry. It's a business. So just be mindful of that as you start making a plan. Because it will take a financial toll on you. And unfortunately for many folks, one of the biggest reasons I hear people don't ultimately apply is not their grades. It's not that they feel that they can't. It's often that they feel like they can't afford it and they're afraid of taking those loans. So It's so expensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Valencia definitely gave me a buffer to some extent because it's reasonably well-priced. And they were willing to see me as a resident of Florida, which meant tuition was a lot lower. That's when amazing. I did, when I did transfer to UCF and start that other half of my undergraduate career, I had documents. I had my residency card by then. So oh, awesome. now I was seen by UCF as a resident. I transferred to UCF. I told you about the coursework. The yeah. anthropology and humanities coursework that really got it motivated. But the reality was because I had shifted gears so drastically from what I wanted to do initially, which was become a restaurant owner, to medicine, I did two things that I think a lot of us do often. I underestimated the difficulty of biology <laughs> coursework. I know to some people that comes easy. Science was always a love of mine, but it was never like a thing that came easy to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I loaded up on, I think my first semester in uh, UCF, I took chemistry, physics, molecular biology, Whoa. Uh, and, and oh, genetics, wow. and a humanities first semester. class. Yeah, Are the you first serious? Semester. And an anthropology class the first semester. Oh my God, that's and so, you, so many. <laughs> as you can imagine, as someone who is not like, oh whose second nature necessarily is raw science, yeah. I struggle. So yeah, I think anybody would have struggled, even yeah. if oh my you're gosh. <laughs> a I really scientific did. person. So that third year, or I guess my first year at UCF, I really struggled academically because I thought, oh, you just take these classes and you apply. But I didn't really yeah. think about my grades. And again, that's because I was the first person in my family 
uh, applying. It was also arrogance and just assuming that I knew the process. And that's another kind of like piece of advice I give people is if you really want to go through this path, really, really do your research ahead of time, not to scare you away from pursuing the path, but just so you're better prepared for pursuing the path. Yeah. So true. When you have a plan in place, like the folks that I've met that have like a four-year plan about their with their coursework, their general activities that they're going to do, when they're going to do them, those people often excel. Now, you have to be flexible and adaptable with that four-year plan or if you want to take five years. But I didn't have that at the beginning and it really showed mm-hmm. uh, because I was not planning my coursework correctly. And you can't rely on your advisor to do that for you. No, Ad- that's advisors no. are kind of like a hot topic, right? Like I yeah. tried. I literally tried my freshman year. I went in because I was researching online how to prepare. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, go talk to your pre-advisor and set up a four-year plan. I literally went in first semester. I was like, hi, I want to be a doctor. What can I do to excel four years? And what are some experiences that would help me in my process? And they turned me away. They said, come back when you're ready to apply. Yeah. And I think they I did that like, to me as well. What the? <laughs> I had to make my own schedule. I've never relied on the advisors because yeah. I just think they don't know your path. You know, only you know your right. path. And so I sat down one day when I was a sophomore and just planned out every single like semester that I was ever going to have and when I was going to take the classes. And it <laughs> I actually really too. helped. <laughs> yeah. I was inspired by my roommate, Allie. She did it first. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. That's a good idea because I want to make sure I stay on track. But the advisors, they don't know when your path is going to develop or what that's going to lead you to. So I would agree with that. Definitely don't just rely on your advisor to bring you all of the things that you need for your medical school application. Yeah, I think that's a big one. I think advisors can be a huge asset. I think sometimes they can't be, and that's just the reality of it. So definitely don't rely on your advisor. Balance (laughs) the information you're getting from people. Right. Yeah. Because you'll meet a lot of pre-mits that are very well informed because they talk to each other, they talk to other programs. So definitely rely on them on your colleagues and your peers because right. you can get a lot of really good information from them. But remember that every nugget of advice that you're getting is subjective to some extent, or yeah, mm-hmm. you gotta take it with a grain of salt. Even what I'm telling you right now, obviously. But your colleagues, especially those who are going through this with you, will have a lot of information that will be valuable about a program, about what class to take, about what class not to take, like all the yeah. all the game aspect of it. Yeah. But make sure when you're choosing your friends, choose them wisely. Don't talk to the competitive mean pre-meds who tell you every single MCAP. Yeah like practice score that they have. I've had a couple of friends who were like that. They're like, what did you get? Or what grade did you get on this test? Or they were just constantly asking about like grades. Or I think one person my junior year came up to me and was like, can I see what grades you've got this semester? Can you show me your transcript? Like why? I was like, I what was does like, that do? Um, well, it's just because they get, she was like very nervous about the application process. And she was like, I don't know if I'm competitive enough. So she wanted to see mine. And I was like, this is too much. Like, let's talk about why you're feeling this way. And I had some other friends yeah. uh, keep scholarship so program, scholarship opportunities for me. I was like, oh, what are you applying to? She's like, oh, I don't want to tell you because it's very competitive program. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so just be careful. If you're someone who's like feeling really bad about themselves because 
like I was just talking to a friend actually about this on Sunday. She was telling me that all of her friends were sharing their U World content scores mm. with her and she wasn't scoring as high as them. Mm. And she called me and she's like, what do I do? And I was like, first of all, remove yourself from those conversations mm-hmm. because that's doing way more harm than good. And I feel like when you talk about scores and grades, that's yeah. something you just don't talk about. You don't talk yeah. about numbers. It's a you talk about testing process. strategies yeah. and study yeah. practices, but not the numbers. You shouldn't focus um, on. So anyway. <laughs> I think that's a big aspect about not only because I think that's adjacent to the discussion about grades, right? Mm-hmm. When you start medical school or when you are applying to medical school and preparing your application for the application process, you're going to encounter a lot of people like that. Yeah. That doesn't stop at the pre-med stage. When you're in medical school, you also meet a lot of folks like that. Mm-hmm. I think and that can be really difficult. It can be really difficult for them. It can be really difficult for you if some of these conversations add a lot of pressure because they do. It's important to note that that does happen in medical school a lot when you're preparing for step, when you're applying for residency, when you're taking your second step you know, exam. I think what I always tell people is, especially in their pre-med stage, surround yourself with people who will value your success, who will be happy for your success, as opposed to who will be self-conscious by your success. That doesn't mean that you should cut everybody out of your life. Like (laughs) part of the pre-med journey step is like finding more about you, what you value, what you don't value, who you like to be surrounded by. Some people thrive in that hyper-competitive show me your scores environment, but others don't. The other thing that conversation is kind of a reflection of is, you know, when you start getting further through this journey and start going through medical school, going through your rotations, eventually going to residency, you kind of more and more begin to acknowledge that medicine is very much a team, like a team sport. Like Mm -hmm. it really comes down to working together open lines of communication, being really clear about directions, but also clear about what people's expectations are. It's very much a social game as much as it is a scientific game. And building those skills now will set you up for success later on. And I think that's where non-traditional students often thrive a little bit. They have some real life experience before going into medical school. So they've developed some sort of like social aptitude, social skills, social aptitude, social acumen. And mm-hmm. it shows, man. It really does show. Yeah, it's a team sport. It really is. <laughs> I think just because maybe when you're going through college and just your prereqs, a lot of it seems very independent then. But then when you get to actually practice medicine, it's mostly not independent, I would say. So that's a big shift and a big difference that a lot of people have to get used to. But it's really interesting that you say that. That it's like kind of different for non-traditional students and maybe easier for them to fit that role. Yeah, I hadn't I, thought of that before. I like that the way you put it, Natalie. It is a shift because when you're applying, you're, you have a good group, you have your friends that support your family. But at the end of the day, it's you applying. But when you're doing the job itself, it's very much team-oriented. Your residents, yeah. your co-attendings, uh, medical students, you know, the healthcare PAs. industry, the healthcare staff, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. PPs, PAs, pharmacists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes that's something that you don't really hone in your pre-medical setting. So think about those things 
as you kind of work your way up. And that's stuff yeah. that interviewers look for. Like, how do you yeah, work they, in a team? <laughs> And they do those too. I had a friend who had an MMI recently and she had a team exercise. Like two of the questions were work together to solve this problem. And it was with another applicant. Yeah. So that was pretty interesting to hear about. I feel like that would be really tough because like you're you're sort of competing against them, but you're not. You're working together. I mean, everybody's story and application and school list is so different. So it's it can't really be seen as a competition, but she was like, it was hard for me to like step aside and say, let's just focus on this moment and let's work together. We're not like applicants with, we have, we're applicants with different stories. We're not competing against each other. We have to work together to solve this problem. Yeah. That scenario, I think it's really interesting because it does put students in a kind of awkward situation, Mm -hmm. but on purpose, right? We want to see how you work with someone yeah. And we know that you guys are in some way competing for your application or your first spot. I like those type of MMIs because that happens in the clinic. Two medical yeah. students who are trying to get good grades from their attendings and their residents through their rotation have to work together. The difference is the task isn't some like build this tower together or give each other directions on how to tie your shoes. It's we got to help this patient recover and get back to their family. The consequences are really, really big and important. And obviously you have your attending and your residents and there's a team. It's still a parallel of that. You have to work together, get your ego out of the way, because the most important thing at this moment is working together to help this patient. And I, I think that. in part, that's why sometimes those questions are asked because they want to see, are you more worried about getting honors during your rotation grade? Or are you more worried about this patient? And it'll show. Wow. That's a really interesting and sometimes, I don't want to say dark, but revealing aspect of going through medical education, pre-med and medical. It's a challenge to character. Yeah. It really shows you sometimes who people are. That's not to say people can't change. And sometimes people are stressed and maybe they show you a side of them that's not really who they are. Like, yes, obviously we take that into account. But the gauntlet of medical training really shows you what you value, what's important to you, and who you are. That's actually really exciting. I really value that about this training. I think I've learned a lot about myself. Yeah. You were kind of also just saying, right, that medical school brings out your like true self or how did you phrase it? You were saying when you get to medical school, you really learn who you are at your core. (laughs) Especially an interesting way to put it especially as you go through the years, right? And I think that it speaks a lot to when you guys are in your pre-medical stage, you should definitely focus on your grades. You should focus on extracurriculars. You should focus on giving back to the community, really genuinely giving back to the community in the way that you think it's best, not only for you, but that you can serve best. You should focus Mm -hmm. on your application, your MCAT, your grades. But something that I, I think it's often not discussed through this process is you should really focus during those years on getting to know you. Who are you? What do you value? What really gets you up in the morning? And that can change that can change sometimes. Like, you know, I've noticed early on through my pre-medical education, I was very extroverted and I really thrived in social settings. And I love that still, but I noticed that I've over the years I enjoy my alone time a lot more. Whereas in preclinic, my pre-medical stage, I really thrive being around people often. That definitely is flexible. But do you think that's is, a result of medical school, or is that just a result of growing? 
No, I think it's a result of growing to some extent. I think it's a result of knowing, like, learning to say no. Mm -hmm. Learning to say, you know what? No, I'm. That's a great skill. I'm going to chill at home. And that's a skill that you learn as you learn about yourself, learn about what you value, learn about what you want to do. So take the preclinic medical stage of this application process, you know, this medical training process as an opportunity to really learn about yourself, be honest with yourself and do the things that you like to do. Yes. To get into medical school, you have to do a lot of stuff you don't, may not want to do. That's part of it. That's part of life. (laughs) We Mm -hmm. sometimes have to do stuff we don't like to do. The way to think about it. But don't. Like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like those really hard classes that some people love, but a lot of people don't like. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you really take this time to get to know you, get to know what you, who you are, not only because it's an important life skill that will make you a better physician and a better person to work with, but also because it's going to serve you in the application process. I think you definitely speak to so many people, especially me. I feel like I have changed so much in the last two years. So I graduated in 2022 and I'm halfway through my second gap year and I'll be going to medical school next fall. And I feel like I'm just a completely different person than I was when I graduated. When I graduated, I was stressed about the MCAT. I was stressed about school. I wanted to apply for med school last year, but I just couldn't get my score to a point where I wanted it. So I deferred another year. And I had overwhelmed myself with so many activities that I didn't have any time to myself to reflect on my goals or who I was as a person. And so she didn't say no. I know that's that actually she never said no. When med schools ask me what my weakness is, I say I can't say no. <laughs> that's my problem. Yep. Um because people are always coming up to me like I want to start this project or I'm interested in doing this thing or can you help me with setting up a med- MCAT schedule? And I love doing all of these things, but it was uh it became really overwhelming last year. But this year I am only really doing one to two things, this podcast and my job. And I have had a lot more time on the weekends to myself to figure out what I love about like what I like to do. I I actually discovered a new passion for rock climbing. I went on trips with my friends and my boyfriend, spending more time with my boyfriend, who I know will probably never see me again once I go to med school. Just kidding. (laughs) Don't say that. Just joking. Just joking. Just joking. Just joking. And I feel like I've discovered a new passion for reading. I loved to read when I was in middle school. And then once I got to high school, I feel like this, that go, go, go began in high school for me and all the way through Mm -hmm. college. And then now I'm like slowing down again and reading again. And I, I love this part of me and I feel a lot more calm and relaxed and the point of the story is I loved my gap year and it gave me the opportunity to reflect on who I was and, and my goals. And I'm working in a dermatology clinic now and still being in the clinical setting has really, really helped me stay sharp in medicine before medical school. So take a gap year if you can. <laughs> I could not agree more. I think the gap year is incredibly it's so powerful. Essential. It can be really powerful for you as a person. Yeah. Um, you know, retaking the MCAT, I think I told you this, Alexia, I took the MCAT three times. I'm not telling people yeah. to do that. That was bad planning on my end. You should, That's horrible. <laughs> you should definitely like plan ahead. I didn't That's plan That's like 24 as... hours of tests. Yeah, roughly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was rough. But I think part of it, you know, when you're in a position when you have to retake your MCAT, that's a character building opportunity. It really it is. is. Because True. you have to yeah. like dig deep and say, am I really going to go through this again? 
yeah. you know, reapplying. I applied three times again mm-hmm. because my plan was not, guys, make a plan early. It changes, but make a plan. I applied yeah. multiple times and that's also a character building opportunity. I took some years after graduating to prepare an application. I took like three gap years and got a master's degree just so I yeah, could really well. not only be competitive, but also because I wanted to be a professional student before being a professional student in medicine. And the gap year, it just sets you up so well. Mm-hmm. I've met so many people who've done the gap year. Obviously, for the gap year, you have to plan it out, but who've done the gap year and have really succeeded. So when it comes to gap years, huge advocate for it. I think it can just it can only help you. The only say thing I'll say about gap years is have a good plan about what your gap year is or how you're going to fill that time. I'm not saying don't go travel, don't go see your friends. Like you should definitely do that. Like be a human being. Please be a human being. (laughs) For everyone's sake, be a human being. That's our advice. That's the title of this podcast episode. Be Be a human. human. (laughs) The hardest advice you could give to a pre-med. No, I'm just kidding. It's tough. No, I agree. It really is. The social pressures of being a pre-med are huge. But be a human Mm -hmm. being, A, but also have an idea of what you're going to do. Because if your gap year is a year and you spent eight months of it traveling, you're not really displaying a passion for medicine, right? Right. Now, some people take gap years for different reasons. I know for some folks, they purposely take a gap year to travel. So when they start medical school, they feel refreshed. But often those folks are very competitive, very, very competitive. Mm -hmm. And even still... Those folks need to display some sort of continued passion for medicine that they didn't just give up on medicine and disappear for yeah. a year. So really plan it out. It doesn't mean you have to take classes. It doesn't mean you have to volunteer abroad for a year. But it does mean having an idea of some activities that are medicine adjacent that will make you a better physician. And there's a lot yeah. out there to do. Your community needs help. I bet you if you Google community projects near me, volunteering you will find stuff to do. So Amazing. Yeah. I mean, for my gap years, my first year, I was a nanny taking the MCAT and doing this project. Second year, I now work for a dermatology clinic and doing this project. I feel like taking the MCAT and being a nanny together was like a 70 hour a week job. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) I was like, that was a very relaxing first gap year. But the second gap year now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have any more tests or classes. So if you have an opportunity to take a gap year where you're not studying for the MCAT or in school, highly recommend doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to try to be a scribe in my gap year because I'm planning to take one, only one at the moment, but you never know where life can take you. But I'm hoping that I can spend my year scribing because, yeah, it's a great opportunity. It's what Lexi was telling me. I have very limited access to a car in Arizona that's really challenging because you need a car to get anywhere, to get to the the city. I don't live in the city in Phoenix, so it's just very difficult sometimes with that. But uh, Natalie, to your point, scribing is amazing. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I'm not telling everyone, go be a scribe. It, it'll like make you the best applicant. But I will tell you this, folks who scribe do really well or have an advantage or an upper hand at the beginning in their clinical skills, like coursework yeah. and their rotations. Knowing how to condense a conversation into like important points about the patient and what they need 
is really powerful. And scribing really sets you up to kind of exercise that muscle. It also makes you really fast at writing quick notes yeah, or that you'll transfer digitally. So there's many <laughs> things you can do out there, but scribing yeah. is definitely one of the things that if you have an opportunity to do, I would strongly recommend. <laughs> you don't need to do it to get in. I can't stress yeah. that enough. Because yeah. sometimes when you hear advice from people, you're like, oh, you should do this. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, what if I don't do this? I'll never <laughs> Makes it but seem if, like a requirement. But Natalie, it's really helpful. And if you get the opportunity, I, w- I would really recommend it. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, yeah. you I also get some The money. downside. That's true. And the downside, though, is I can't write anymore because I oh. can't write as fast as I type. <laughs> That's so I, I literally wrote down my email for my boss this week and she came back to me a second later. She's like, I have no idea what this says. Right. It's like, and then another time a patient came up to me because I was writing a release form for them yeah. or filling it out and helping them out with it. And they were signing it. And she comes up to me. She goes, you have horrible handwriting. Oh, this patient was so honest. It's the Dr. Scrawl. It's okay. <laughs> it's just I can't. I have to slow my brain now because when I'm in a patient's room, I'm typing like 140 miles an hour or whatever they say. And when they have me slow down and write something, I'm like, I can't. I can't do it. It's a real skill, though. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you if you can type fast, like it really helps <laughs> you. And scribing sets you up for that. I got yeah. like 90, 90 words per minute. That's the best I can do. Take it or leave That is it. excellent. <laughs> Does that that is very good. Yeah. Yeah. Scribe yeah. worthy. <laughs> yeah. Practice your typing skills. I took a typing course in middle school. <laughs> I think so. so I, did, I did too as well. Yeah. yeah, me too. That's really weird that that's an experience that we all had. <laughs> I know. I do they still do those? They you forced know. me to take a typing class for an elective. I don't know if they still do that, but probably because computers are so important. It should be a requirement. If, yeah. To know how to type. Yeah, it's really helpful for med school. It's very sure. essential. Yeah, I know I've worked with so many different EMR systems over the years. Epic, Cerner, Next Tech I'm currently using, which is the worst EMR I think I've ever used in my life. It's a giant Excel spreadsheet. No. And you can't spell check the entire thing. You have to go into each cell and spell check it. No. I have to like the prescription portal is separate from it. I have to log into that separately and it doesn't automatically populate into any of your right. So I do orders, I do prescriptions, I call patients, I fax records. I do a lot for this clinic. It's not just uh, typing notes. And the systems, I actually asked uh, the provider I work with, I was like, why do you use Next Tech? And he was like, I don't know. It's just what we've been using. And I'm like, can you use Epic? Because Next Tech is, I hate it. <laughs> It's yeah. always shuts down in the middle of a very important conversation, but it's taught me how to stand up for myself and say, Hey, I know you're dictating right now. My computer just shut down. Can you give me a moment while I reboot it? <laughs> right. Those real life experiences, man, something as simple as that, like translates over to real life when you're working with patients and their families, like all these little experiences really add up. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so important yeah. to have that good work environment. Lexi, so that you can actually feel comfortable to step up and be like, hey, can I have a second? That's so important. This brings it back to the whole working together. You got to have that good social personality. (laughs) There was a moment I had this week where in the same room under like five minutes, my provider I worked with asked me to 
get a picture of the lesion we were biopsying, have the patient sign a consent form, give them the paperwork regarding aftercare instructions, send out two prescriptions. And then he goes, in addition to that, can you go get a surgery card for me, fill it out, put the location on and the results so we can do like another procedure on top of it. And I paused him. I said, Hey, that is a lot for me to do right now. Would you mind going and getting the surgery card and filling that out for me while I do everything else in the room with the patient? And he looked at me and goes, respect. <laughs> for sure. Like, because I am not an octopus. I can't do multiple things at once, but of course you keep a professional manner and go, Hey, actually that is quite a lot for me to do. And I can't get that done in the time frame that you want me to do it in. Is this alternative solution, a better solution for us? And he was like, "That yes, we can do that. That's fine. So I think when I'm a physician and I have my own clinic, it's very, very important to understand the roles and responsibilities and the weight of the responsibilities of all of your coworkers so that you don't overwhelm them with too many tasks. Because it's very easy in a very busy clinic with where we were double booked every, like every 15 minutes, we're seeing two patients. It's very easy to become overwhelmed with all these tasks, but it's important to stand up for yourself and also know what your coworkers are doing so you can help them out with their tasks. But yeah, a very great experience that I've had. It's definitely significantly different than the ER I worked in because I did not send prescriptions there. Awesome. Those are are skills that are going to translate really well. Yeah. Uh, It kind of speaks to learning to say no professionally (laughs) and and also knowing what the greater task at hand is here. Like, yeah, there's all these little tasks, but there's also the central task of taking care of patients. So if we can like be on the same page regarding all these little tasks, we can get the bigger task accomplished beautifully, which is taking care of people. Yeah. And that's something that'll that'll happen in your rotations or as you go through your pre-medical stages, like those kind of conversations, Alexia, are ubiquitous in medicine. Like I can't tell you how often that's an important conversation. Something as simple as like, actually, give me five minutes. Let me finish this. Or mm-hmm. what, what's your time frame when you like that happens all the time, all yeah. the time. And knowing how to navigate a, a simple conversation like that is the difference between having happy coworkers and executing the task of the care of people and having a dysfunction yeah. and having disgruntled dysfunctional coworkers who go at each other. I know. And I'm grateful my coworkers are very receptive and they're very kind. And I will say when I first started describing in the ER years ago, I was very nervous working with the providers. I had never known a physician personally. So it was really hard for me to like go, hey, I need that physical exam or hey, I need your differential diagnosis for this chart. Because I felt they were already overwhelmed with being in the ER and their multiple patients. I felt bad just asking them for these things because it was my job. But that experience really taught me, you know, I was hired to do this. This is my job. Don't feel bad for asking for what you need. Just make sure you do it kindly and in a professional manner. And so now in this dermatology clinic, uh, another example I had was I was in a patient's room and we hadn't received, we were waiting for records from another dermatology clinic because this patient came in with a biopsy proven skin cancer, but it wasn't specified what it was. And we needed to know what it was so we knew what type of like surgery to schedule them for, whether it's burning or excising it. And the provider I work with, he asked me to go on the phone and call the other clinic and get the results from them. When I went over there to do that, he was seeing multiple other patients at the same time. And I wasn't able to go in those rooms. And 
you know, get the history or get the information because I was on the phone for a little bit trying to get these records. After doing all of that, I talked to my provider. I said, hey, that was a little much. Next time, here's like a better solution we can do. Maybe I can ask my coworker to go on the phone while I'm walking around with you and getting patient histories. So yeah, different experiences like that, but it's definitely taught me a lot. (laughs) The real life practice of medicine, right? It can be very messy and that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Andres, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I hope it was helpful to whatever extent it is. It always is. (laughs) Always. There's always room to talk for more. So we want to have you on again in the next Uh, six, in the next half year. (laughs) Every six months. I'll still be here working on my PhD. No. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I wanted to end the episode with like a lighthearted, little fun biology trivia game. Yeah. Just because. (laughs) So I have like a list of fun human biology trivia questions, and I'll just go ahead and ask the first one. What is the name of the smallest muscle in the human body? Oh, Hmm. it's in the ear. That is an interesting one. Oh, I think I know. It is in the ear. Tensor tympani? What? <laughs> the, the, the tensor tympani muscle? No, it's the stapedius muscle. Oh, let me double check Google though. I, I think muscle. he got it just because he knew it was in the ear. <laughs> I hope that's enough. That's good enough for me right now. Hey, just because you got it in the ear, yeah. The stapedius muscle is the smallest muscle. It's in the, the ear middle is ear. So complex. It's actually really interesting. I know. You know, it's if you're a med student. I will say I have some med students rotate in my dermatology clinic and something that the provider always gets them. He's like, tell me what this location is called on the ear where this skin cancer is. And they can never get it. <laughs> We're like, where is, what's this called? What's this called? And I'm like, well, I know this is the tragus because of ear yeah. piercings. Ear piercing. Um, but this is the helix. And so yeah, the helix get well first. Pina, right? The Yeah. The helix is like the... um. Or I guess you guys can't see, obviously, what I'm pointing at. <laughs> the top of your it's like ear. The top of your ear. The tragus yes. is, you know, that little flappy thing in the middle. <laughs> yeah, we're we're so ahead of the game. The flappy thing <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> if, if any residency program directors are listening to this, <laughs> I knew what the muscle was. Don't worry about it. I, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm no. ready. Yeah, he <laughs> And so are they. They're ready to go to med school, guys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh my gosh. I know this one. What is the scientific term for the small indentation in the middle of the upper lip? Oh my gosh. These are like surface anatomy questions. I know. Yeah. I haven't taken anatomy yet. Fun fact. Oh. <gasps> it's pH. Yeah. It's yeah. Filled, you- filled from? Yay. Oh yep. That's gosh. it. That's right. This is amazing to me. Excellent. I know. Every little surface anatomy, you learn this when you take your anatomy uh, oh, in med wow. school. There's a lot of surface anatomy that's really useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially, I know especially. a lot about surface anatomy now. Yeah. No, it, I was like, it's not the Cupid's bow. <laughs> that's not the medical term. No, I'm just kidding. The Cupid's bow? I didn't even know. Right here. I, you know, work. we use that actually. We use the Cupid's bow and the philtrum. Okay. Are they interchangeable? I don't know, actually. That's probably one is scientific and it's one, yeah. one is probably colloquial. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> oh, wait. 
taking anatomy oh, next semester, guys. Okay, so no, you're both right. What? So the philtrum, I don't even know. It's like the indentation between your nose and your upper lip. Like you know that little part. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like the this. cupid's bow is this part, the indentation of just your lip. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You learn something new every day. So if you have a skin cancer on your your lip indentation, that's the cupid's bow. But if it's mm-hmm. in your philtrum, that's in between your nose and your lip. Gotcha. Gotcha. Every little surface and has a name for it. And especially <laughs> if you're doing dermatology, like that's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing well, that you that. know all that though. It's so fun. All the things that we're gonna learn over the next couple of years. Oh. Well, lately it's been like he's got more trustworthy of like like I've been getting less prompts basically i'm like i have to go to him and go are you ruling out a basal cell on the left malar cheek and i didn't get the size i do need a measurement and they're like yep yep uh here's three millimeters i've been having to prompt for it more Mm -hmm. i'm like i'm not a doctor yeah i don't know (laughs) that's a sign of trust though that's really cool yeah yeah that's great okay what is the function of the appendix in the human body because it's changed a lot over the years well, I know. Well, Natalie, do you want to go? Or? I don't think I can say anything. I thought that the appendix was kind of useless since everybody kind of gets it out. Like people take out their appendix pretty often. So I was thinking it doesn't have a function anymore. Kind of one of those. Mm-hmm. So they're called vestigial organs. But yes. I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of that has changed. And I know yep. that more recent research is showing that the appendix can serve as a reservoir for bacteria to yep. keep your large and small intestine, particularly your large intestine, cultivated with bacteria. Yeah. So it's kind of like a small little reservoir of bacteria. And okay. That's why when you burst your appendix, it's so dangerous mm-hmm. because you can yeah. have bacteremia and severe disseminated yep. infection because that little pocket or that little organ that contains all these bacteria releases okay. all the bacteria into your cavity. So. Um, it is a vestigial organ. It just has a small function still now. No, the fact that they're kind of elucidating a function for it mm. makes it not a vestigial organ oh. anymore. Yeah. So a vestigial anatomical structure is a structure that is a remnant of like your previous ancestors evolutionarily, right. but don't serve a function anymore. So it's really changed. It's also important if you do your own research, make sure I'm <laughs> make sure what I'm saying is some, somewhat accurate, but uh, folks who have their appendix removed early on in life will have a different microbiome. Mm. Yeah. You know, in an elementary biology, they were saying like the appendix is useless and that's why if you get it removed, it's not, it's not a big deal. But now, yeah, it could be a, a reservoir for gut bacteria and important for the gut microbiome. So it's interesting how much medicine changes over the years. How much yeah. more we learn. Always learning. Mm-hmm. Yep. Always learning. All right, I'll ask one more question. Whoa. Oh, I want to ask a hard one. <laughs> you might as well. Whatever you want. <laughs> I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to redo this. Let's see. Don't be scared. It's the last one. All right, yeah, I'll ask this one. You probably know this, but what is the technical term for the small hardened piece of wax-like substance that can occasionally form in the human ear canal like the scientific term for it earwax yeah <laughs> C- cerumen yeah that's right Woo. i mean i know more about the ear than i thought i did 
Yeah. I know. This is this trivia session is sponsored by the human ears, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Great. those are all of my biology trivia questions. Andre. Great job, Andres. I, oh, yeah, great job. I wonder how many of my colleagues would get those right. <laughs> yeah. Should I've, play. Do a trivia night. Medical student trivia night. <laughs> oh, we do. And it gets intense oh. because people <laughs> people argue, well, technically, according of to course. this paper. It's like, oh, oh my god, on, that is so funny to I me. I just want to drink a beer. Like, <laughs> can we agree that yeah, it's just funny? Oh just my gosh, a... yeah, I love that. Well, Andres, it's been such a pleasure having you back on. Do you have any last words to tell to our audience? Any current pre meds or people yeah. applying for medical school? Yeah, no, I think you know, a lot of our conversation was about like the social dynamics of applying. And the financial realities, also the social realities, but also we touched on the gap here. There's a lot of resources yeah. out there, guys. And a lot of resources will help you set up your uh, coursework, will help you set up a schedule for your MCAT, will help you decide what major to follow as you prepare. And there's a lot out there. Make sure everything you, all the information you consume regarding the pre-medical journey and the application process for medical school Make sure you're thorough about those sources and a little skeptical. It's good to be a little skeptical about those sources. But there's not that much out there about how the pre-medical years are an opportunity to find yourself, learn more about yourself, learn more about why you want to pursue medicine. So equally important, and I would argue sometimes more important, is taking time to do that part of it as well. Because at the end of the day, and Alexia, you, you know I will kind of have this mentality. At yeah. the end of the day, medicine is a social effort. It's a social science that involves people working together to keep your communities and your families and your colleagues safe and healthy. To effectively do that, you need to have self-introspection. You have to be considerate of other people's emotional state. You have to know how to be a professional and demand things that you need for to completing your task, but also support your colleagues in doing these tasks. There's a lot of non-scientific aspects to medicine that need to be equally honed. So yes, gather all this information about the classes, the MCAT, your application, that's important, but also gather information that'll make you a better human being and a more self-introspective human being so you can be a better physician for yourself and for everyone around you and your future patients. Very well, well said. said. <laughs> oh, jinx. <laughs> yeah, that was just oh. so eloquent. I think we were both shocked. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Wow. <laughs> Such good advice. Be a human oh, thank being, you. <laughs> yeah, be a human. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's the official slogan of the episode. I'm, that was I'm well said, but be a human. Yeah. I'm going to patent that. <laughs> you should. T shirts. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you again, Andres. This podcast was produced by Ari Rosenthal and Lorelai Edmonds. You can find our conference on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at National Pre-Health Community or MPHC 2020. And you can also find our podcast on Instagram at The Pre-Health Pod. If you have any questions or just want to chat about your pre-medical experience, feel free to DM us again on Instagram at pre Pod. And you can find all of our events. Our next National Pre-Health Conference of 2024 is officially May 18th through the 19th virtually. 
at nationalprailconfcnf.org. Get your tickets. Again, it's all free. We do this all for free. We just want to help you genuinely be well-prepared as best as you can for medical school, well-versed about the process, and know as much about the medical specialties you're interested in as you can. And please like, leave a review, or tell one friend if you liked our podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next year. Yay! Bye! <laughs> Bye!